You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Sometimes when men disgrace the glory of God, we fear God will go without glory. And we think the glory has departed. You know, some of us would come to the same conclusion as Phineas's wife did. But when men and women will not glorify God, you can be sure that God will glorify himself. So you know what? We should never get into that mindset of thinking like, you know, we have to defend God. Come on, right? God is more than able to defend himself. Those who hate the idea of submitting to a being higher than themselves and relinquishing their false sense of control will do their best to attack the very idea of God. You may feel a desire to lash out with apologetics and your best human defense for him, but that often is counterproductive. You certainly should stand strong in your faith But as Pastor Mike will remind us in today's message, God defends himself. Leave it to him. He's got it all under control. All you need to do is devote yourself to serving him. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 5 as he begins his message, The Philistines and the Ark of God. Samuel chapters 5 and 6. Let's begin in a word of prayer and then we'll get into chapter 5. Father, we pray now that you'd bless our time together. God, as we uh, continue our series and studies uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, our uh, series uh, entitled uh, A Man or a Woman After God's Own Heart. And Father, I I pray that uh, you would use this time to that end. Uh, Father, that our hearts would be turned to you. Father, I pray that you'd minister to each one in a very personal and relevant uh, way. Lord, tailor this message and all of the lessons that are contained within these two chapters to that end. Lord, encourage and strengthen and challenge. God, rebuke if necessary. God, deal with sin in our lives. Remove that sin from us. But more than anything else, Father, we pray that we would see Jesus, Lord, in these chapters. Lord, that we would be uh, uh, drawn closer to him. Father, bless now. God, let my words be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's get into chapter 5, and let's begin reading verses 1 and 2. Then the Philistines, after solidly defeating Israel's army, they took the ark of God. Remember, they brought the ark of God into the battle, up into the front lines, uh, thinking that because of the presence of the ark of the covenant, Uh, God would move, and God would respond, and God would give Israel uh, a 
uh, a victory in this battle. But that wasn't the case at all, was it? As we discovered last time. Well, anyway, the Philistines took the Ark of uh, God as one of their trophies and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. We'll talk about these two locations in just a moment. And when the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now, Dagon was one of the gods that the Philistines uh, worshipped. Okay, so after soundly defeating Israel in battle, remember last time, just go back to chapter 4 and verse 10. Notice there, 30,000 young men, Israelites, had fallen in that battle. And the Philistines carried the spoils of war back to their own towns and villages, assembling in the city of Ashdod, which was located about 33 miles west of the city of Jerusalem. And it happened to be, that is Ashdod, happened to be one of the Philistines' chief cities of their Pentapolis. Now, the Pentapolis was a, a group of five chief cities of the Philistines. The other cities was Ashkelon, Ekron, Gath, and uh, Gaza. So those were the five cities that comprised, comprised the Pentapolis. Now, among the chief trophies, as I've already suggested, they paraded through the streets was the Ark of the Covenant of uh, God. And uh, at this time, the Ark of God was actually located in the city of Shiloh, and it was placed there in back of the veil in the tabernacle. And so again, uh, Israel thought that if they could take the Ark with them out to battle against the Philistines, that would ensure that they would have victory over their enemies. But again, as I mentioned, such was not uh, the case. Now, the inhabitants of Ashdod were devotees of Dagon, the god of grain, who supposedly ensured the abundant harvests of those who acknowledged his sovereignty. Okay, let's go on. Let's go back to our text. Let's read verse 3 now. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And so they took Dagon and set it in its place again. Okay, so in celebrating their victory over the Hebrews, the Philistines placed their prized trophy, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of Yahweh, Israel's protector, in the temple of Dagon. And from the description that's provided for us here in our text, it seems as if, and it appears to have been a raised platform in the temple, a pedestal on which was placed the large imposing figure of the Philistine God. And then the Ark of the Covenant must have been placed on the side of the platform and beneath the figure of Dagon. It was a position of symbolic, of an inferior waiting on and ready to serve a superior. Well, here's where the Philistines had made a big mistake. And yes, they had defeated Israel's army, but nevertheless, they did not defeat Israel's God. And then also, let's go on now in verse 4. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on the face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they propped it up once again after it had fallen the first time. But then as they went back into the temple, their temple, the next day, 
They noticed that the image had fallen on its face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord once again. But this time, the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold, and only Dagon's torso was left uh, of it. Okay, so the next day, the priest entering back into their temple, their worst fears realized, found their god mutilated beyond repair. His head and arms, which were symbols of his wisdom and activity, were broken off from his body. Now, uh, something to think about here. You know, going back to, and this is one of the reasons why I appealed to begin in chapter 4 in verse 19. Remember when Phineas's wife had given birth to her son, because of all of the things that had been going on, the loss of her father-in-law, the death of her husband, uh, she came to this conclusion, and therefore she named her son Ichabod. And that name Ichabod indicated, and this is the reason why she named her son Ichabod, the glory of God has departed. The glory of God had departed from uh, Israel. Well, after what we've just read, let me ask you the question. Had the glory of God truly departed? Not at all. God was more than able to glorify himself among the Philistines and their pagan gods. You see, God made this statue bow down in worship before him. You see, sometimes when men disgrace the glory of God, we fear God will go without glory. And we think the glory has departed. You know, some of us would come to the same conclusion as Phineas's wife did. But when men and women will not glorify God, you can be sure that God will glorify himself. So you know what? We should never get into that mindset of thinking like, you know, we have to defend God. Come on, right? God is more than able to defend himself. Well, the priests now had this theological problem. Is Yahweh greater than their god, Dagon. And refusing to admit Israel's god's superiority, they developed a new tradition. Notice there in verse 5, and I'll just briefly uh, share what's contained within it and try to depict it as best I can. No one, according to verse 5, no one who entered the temple was to walk on the threshold, lest the place where fragments of their god after he had fallen over and broken into pieces, had lain, uh, that it should be profaned by human feet. So what do we have here? Well, here is man-made superstitious religion at its worst. They developed this new tradition. You know, it's sort of like, you know, make it up as you go. And, uh, you know, you follow the, the great religions, you know, from right the, from the very beginning of time. And that's exactly the, the way... Uh, that they do things. They just make it up as they uh, go. You know, the Philistine priests, like so many men today, confronted by the truth, reject God despite the evidence. You see, they wanted to believe it was an accident. You know, that Dagon had just fallen over twice, but it was all an accident. And so why did they rather want to believe that? than the truth, when confronted by the truth. That Yahweh, that the God of Israel was superior to their God, Dagon, and all of the Philistine gods. 
Why was that? Well, simply because worshiping the Lord, and I want you to think about this. You know, when you're sharing your faith with someone and you're trying to, you know, find an inroads and, and trying to witness uh, to someone about Jesus Christ, why do they reject that truth when they're confronted by it? And the evidence can be absolutely overwhelming, as such is the case here in, in, our, in our text. So why is that? Well, simply because worshiping the Lord instead of Dagon or the gods of their choices meant a huge change in their thinking and living. They were unwilling to make those changes. You see, it would have been easier for them to just glue him back together than make those kinds of changes. And such is the case with human nature. And you're going to run up against this sort of thing. If you haven't already, you, will, you can be sure that you'll uh, experience this in the, uh, in the future. So uh, let's pick up now in verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod throughout the city and all of its territory. Okay, so adding to their misfortunes, the Philistines were now smitten with this painful swelling under their skin. These tumors, notice the reference to these tumors. You know, many Bible teachers uh, have suggested this, this is likened unto the bubonic uh, plague uh, that affects the lymph nodes of a, a person and how the lymph nodes are, are actually infected and become enlarged under the skin and they are actually boils the size of a, a walnut. And so that's the way that God inflicted the inhabitants of the city of Ashdod. And so uh, their symptoms resulted in panic first in Ashdod, then Gath, and then finally in uh, Ekron. Now, there's something to be taken away from all of this, and I want you to think about it. They would not listen when God struck down their statue, destroyed their statue, but when we close our ears to God, and, and here's a word of caution, you know, God might be trying to get your attention, trying to get you to turn around or to do something or, you know, maybe deal with sin in your life, you know, that God's hand is heavy upon you. And uh, he, he might choose to do that in a variety of different ways. He can even do something like that in a service like this when the word is going across the pulpit and he's ministering to you. You know how that is, right? It almost seems like God has got your number and he's especially speaking to you this morning. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that that's happening right now. But there are a variety of different ways that God tries to get our attention, where God tries to reprove us, if not re, you know, flat out uh, rebuke us. Well, be careful. When we close our ears to what God is trying to say to us, he often finds another way to speak to us. And beware, we might not like that second way. What was the second way that he chose to uh, speak to the Philistines? by inflicting them with these boils, these tumors. Be very careful about that, right? So how should we respond when God speaks? An immediate response, right? Because God loves you that much that he's not going to let you get away with anything, right? Because he wants to bring blessing into your life. He doesn't want you to continue in sin. If there's something that needs to uh, be reversed within your life, you can be sure that God is faithful to, to get that job done. Well, anyway, their symptoms resulted in panic, first in Ashdod, 
then in the city of Gath, and then finally in the city of Ekron. All right, let's go on now in our text and read verses 7 through 10. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh towards us, and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines from, from the Pentapolis, from those five cities, five lords in all, sort of like five kings, if you would, and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. Let them deal with it, right? So they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. And so it was after they had carried it away to the next city of Gath, notice that the hand of the Lord was against that city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city of Gath, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them as well. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. You know, they're just trying to get rid of it. It's going from one city to the next. They don't know what to do with it. That the Ekronites cried out, saying, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. You know, one writer commenting on this said, their panic parallels the hysteria that was spread by the bubonic plague in London in 1665, where thousands of people died. So no wonder the people of these cities wanted to be rid of the ark of God, equating its presence with death and destruction. All right, let's read verses 11 and 12. And so they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel. And let it go back to its own place. In other words, send it back to Israel. Send it back to Shiloh. So that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. And the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with the tumors. And the cry of the city went up to uh, heaven. Okay, so it's at this point. As the five lords came together, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with the ark of God. It was left outside in an open field while the leaders were debating what they were going to do. Now, let's pick up in chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Now, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. You think, you know, man... I mean, think about it. You, they finally realized the futility of resisting God, right? And this visible manifestation, representation of the throne of God, and that's what the Ark of, uh, the, Ark of the Covenant represented. It represented the throne of God. You think they would have learned their lesson a lot quicker than they did? Because again, notice what it says there in verse 6, that the Ark was with them for seven months. Come on. What was the matter with these people? But anyway, finally, they came to their senses and realized the futility of resisting the God of Israel. And the Philistines called for their priests and their diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. Okay, so let me describe what's going on here. The lords of the Philistines, uh, the five lords, the Pentapolis, gave heed to the request of the people. Let's get rid of this thing. They summoned the priests 
the diviners to inquire of them if and by what means the ark should be returned to Israel. And the Philistines, this is not in the Bible, but I've done some research on this. There were three different ways that the the Philistines ascertained their God's will. So a little bit of trivia. The first of which was by divination by arrows. An arrow was shot into the air, and an omen was taken from the direction in which it fell. So that was the first way that they sought to discern the will of their gods. The second was divination by teraphim, or or oracle. And these certain images were supposed to speak and give responses to those who consulted them, to those who worshipped them. So that was the second way that the Philistines chose to ascertain the will of their gods. And then lastly, divination by sacrifice. The entrails and liver of a sacrificial animal were examined to help the priests determine the will of their gods. Now, you know, aren't we glad that we don't have to appeal to such foolery? All we have to do is to consult and appeal to the word of God. Aren't you so glad? You know, all of this foolery. You know, in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, there we are told, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or as God breathed, and is profitable for doctrine. What is doctrine? Correct belief. For reproof. Sometimes we need to be reproved. For correction. A lot of times we need to be corrected. For instruction in righteousness, counsel, that the man or the woman of God may be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So aren't you so glad that we have God's revealed word, that God has preserved for us his word? You know, so that we don't have to appeal to all of these crazy ways that people, you know, appeal to for direction for their lives. And, and uh, you know, and looking to the word of God, we can always move in the center of God's will for our lives and thus receive the blessings of God. So we should be very glad concerning uh, God's preserving his word and making it available to us. Well, we do not know the means by which the Philistines came to this decision but here was their decision. Okay, let's pick up now verses 3 uh, through 12, here in chapter 6. And so they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. So this was the council. But they're, now they're, they're going to send it back to Shiloh, where the tabernacle is. So they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. But by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. If you've missed any part of this message, you'll find it online at harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Venezio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. 
As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can connect with us. We want to hear from you. If you've been listening for months or even the first time today, let us know. Have you been blessed by a teaching here on In My Father's House? Have you been able to share what you've learned with someone else? We want to hear your story. It's such an encouragement and brings us great joy to know how this program is blessing our listeners. So please, let us know you've been tuning in. You can send us a message right from our website. Just go to harvestnyc.org and click on Contact. You'll find a form to fill out and we'll connect with you as soon as possible. You can also let us know you've been listening by sending an email to harvestnyc at verizon.net. Please feel free to share your prayer request too. We'd be honored to join you in seeking God's direction in your life. Again, just email harvestnyc at verizon.net. If you're listening to our broadcast and aren't in the Manhattan area, We'd like to invite you to join our weekly worship services live on our website. We stream our gatherings on Thursday at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more and connect at harvestnyc.org. That's all for today. Join Pastor Mike next time for another edition of In My Father's House. Father's